Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. So this is the last sermon in our sermon series, Confused, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And then next week we start a new sermon series. But how many people here have ever been wrong? Anybody? It happened to me, right? Okay, so I've been wrong. And we're going to talk about that. Why is it that so often, you know, you can be, it doesn't matter how much education, experience, whatever you have, you can still make mistakes. Uh, here's the thing, though, before we get there, anybody notice there's so much negativity in our world, and our culture right now? Anybody notice this? Have you been on Facebook? Um, there's just so much negativity. And it, one of the things is, because, you know, we're going to talk about this, people just react instantly and emotionally to so much, and they don't take a step back to kind of think things through. And you can't say anything on social media without getting somebody upset. You can put good morning on Facebook, and someone will argue with you. Right? I used to joke on Facebook, but I, I, I don't anymore because people got so upset with me. I, I remember this one time I was standing in our, our Starbucks, i.e. Kroger's, and I was, I was standing there, and I was looking over at the magazine racks, and I was like, there's like a dozen running magazines. And so I just, I, I tweeted, I put on Facebook, I was like, why are there so many running magazines? How many articles can you write about left, right, left, right, don't fall, you know? And somebody got mad at me. Somebody like, Facebook was like, my mom's a runner, how dare you? I'm like, whoa, you know, it's just a joke. And this other time, I, I'll tell you this, I, I put this on. Oh, man, I did not mean to offend mothers who have had C-sections. But I just, I, this one time I joked, I said, I said, you know, I wonder... I said, if kids born from C-sections ever feel the desire to go out the window instead of the front door. And, oh, man, people got mad. And I was like, it's just a joke, you know? It's just a joke. Calm down, you know? Man, people are just angry. And I, you can't say anything. And, and, and it's just, a, I was reading an article that actually somebody was saying, that really tells us a lot about ourselves. You know, that, that people just will just jump and argue and, and it's immediately they see something on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and they just start, they just attack. And it's because we as human beings tend to react emotionally quickly. We don't sit down and go through pros and cons we just jump. We get an emotion and we go. And in fact, research has shown that the average person makes almost all their decisions emotionally. From their emotions. They don't sit and think things through. But some studies have also shown that, guess what? When you make the most mistakes is when you jump emotionally. When you just react emotionally, that's when you make most mistakes. That people who do have the discipline to sit down and go, okay, I got to think this through. I got to think this through logically. I got to work this out. That they make better decisions. They are wrong less often. That's just the way it is. There's so much negativity out there because we react emotionally. We don't sit back and think. We don't think things through. And it's getting dangerous. I mean, back in 2008, uh, only 25% of Americans were on social media. Now, 
more than 76% are on some form of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And, and, and another study showed that roughly 50% of it is negative. And that 50% of kids aged 12 to 18 have been personally attacked or bullied on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And, and so we're all out there. We're just instantly doing everything, jumping in. And look, I, I understand Facebook can be a, a great thing. We, we use it here to promote stuff. We're getting ready to upload a video this afternoon that uh, Chris Jones worked very hard on this, this week. And I, it's a great video. And, but I understand it can be used for good, but so many of you use it for evil. It's just, it's just unreal. But it just shows us who we are. We are emotional creatures. But we're also intelligent creatures. But unfortunately, when we come to making a decision, big decisions in life, we typically don't use our intellect, we use our emotions. And that will lead you astray. It just will, over and over again. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're confronted with, whatever dilemma you're confronted with, whether it has to do with finances, whether it has to do with relationships, what, regardless, if you just jump with your emotions, typically you will make a mistake. And here's the other thing. Here's what we do. We make an emotional decision, and then once we make the emotional decision, then we look for rationale to back it up. Ever notice that? And, and, and people who do that, it's like trying to talk to a brick wall. Have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody where you were talking, you can see that they're in front of you, they're hearing what you're saying, but they're not listening. Ever been in that conversation? You're sitting there talking, they hear your words, but they're not listening. It's just like talking to a brick wall. This is funny because the same thing happened last night. I see so many spouses nudge each other when I say that. Um, all right, we'll have a counseling session afterwards, but anyway, um, it's just what we do. It's just what we do. And I used to, some of you know, I used to work in politics. I got into politics at a very young age. Uh, I, I worked my very first congressional campaign when I was 20 years old. And I didn't know anything. I mean, I kind of jumped in without really knowing what I was doing. And just people telling me, go do this, go do that, okay. And, and so I did it. And I remember my first encounter with somebody who buys into conspiracy theories. Ever met that person? Uh, conspiracy theorists, these are people who absolutely positively are convinced, they have convinced themselves that there is this, this secret conspiracy going on, that this is what explains everything. And when you try to talk to them, because when I was 20, I would try to talk some sense into these people. It, it didn't even take me to 21 to realize I was wasting my time. And so I just got to the point where I just nodded and smiled because it does no good. Now, how many of you remember Mike Myers? He hasn't been around in a while. Wayne's World, right? Saturday Night Live, right? Okay. He did a movie back in 93 that I loved. I loved it for a couple reasons. One, I have this weird thing. I think Scottish accents are funny. I, I, I think anything said in a Scottish accent is funny. That's one. Two, because at the time I was working in politics when this movie came out, it's called So I Married an Axe Murderer. 
and it's a comedy Mike Myers did. And when it came out, he plays his own father in the movie, who, and he buys into conspiracy theories. And, a conspira- and there used to be, so now if you go on like Netflix or something, you'll see conspiracy theories. But back in the 90s, before in the early 90s, before the internet, somehow, some way, I don't know how, people bought in. There used to be this guy who ran for president every four years called Lyndon H. LaRouche. Anybody remember Lyndon LaRouche? Okay. So he'd run for president every four years, and he had all these conspiracy theories. And, and so I, I worked, you know, I, for two, one, two, three different congressional campaigns. And, and during that time, I would hear these conspiracy theories at least once per county fair. And by the way, that congressional district had 14 counties. So I had 14 county fairs to cover every single year. That was awful, by the way. It was hot. I had to wear a tie. It smelled like horse. You know what? It was awful. It was just terrible. And so and always I would get one of these guys. So here, roll this clip, and I'll show you what my life was like back in the 90s. Hello. Hi. We're in here, son. Hey, Charlie. Hey, William. How's it going? All right. Give your mother a kiss, and I'll kick your teeth in. Hi. Hey. Did you happen to see the most beautiful Man, Shut it! If you did. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. Come on, Charlie. All right, away and go with your mother, all right? And while you're there, why don't you try one of her bras on you, wee girl? Float away, you fairy! Hey, Mom. I uh, brought you guys a haggis. Oh, that's sweet of you, son. Thank you. Oh, I haven't seen one of these for years. Oof, for years. Actually, I hate them. But your father will happily... Look at him. He's giving Tony all that Lyndon H. LaRouche rubbish again. Well, it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim, that there's a secret society of the five wealthiest people in the world, known as the Pentaverite, mm. who run everything in the world, including the newspapers, and meet triannually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. So who's in this Pentaverite? The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders. I hated the colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're gonna buy my chicken. Oh, <laughs> Dad, how can you hate the colonel? Oh, uh, I heard that speech at least 14 times a year for like five years in a row. Always, I would I'd be at a county fair somewhere, have my little booth, whatever. Somebody running for Congress, or they were a congressman, whatever. And you'd see a guy look over, and he'd see that it was a congressman, and then he would lower his head, and then he'd start walking towards me, and I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. The five families, they run everything. They do this. They run the Federal Reserve. They do it. And I was like, I just got, when I was 20 years old, I'd argue with him. And I was 21, I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because you can't talk to these people. And here's what I learned. Now, look, if you're one of those people, I love you, but, oh, goodness sakes. Um, here's the deal. Here's the reason why conspiracy theories don't work. People can't keep secrets. Nobody can keep a secret. I'm just telling you. And in Washington, D.C., really nobody can keep a secret. And here's here's why. Here's what I noticed when I worked in Washington, D.C. Here's what happens. All the congressional staffers, when they're done, would go to the bars, like Bullfeathers, which is just behind Capitol Hill. And so they'd go to Bullfeathers. And guess who would be there waiting to buy them drinks? reporters 
And the reporters would be there to buy drinks, and they would buy all the drinks you wanted because they wanted you to drink heavily and talk a lot. And so you see all of these, you know, congressional staffers sitting there drinking beer after beer with people from, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, ABC, CBS, all that, and they're just sitting there shelling it out because they, and they just, and telling everything. You can't keep a secret in Washington, D.C. Nobody can keep a secret. That's why anybody who tells me there's a conspiracy, like, no, there's not. Because a conspiracy, by definition, takes more than one person. And even one person can't keep a secret. It's just not going to happen. So that, that's why I don't buy into it. But here is, uh, this is, this pains me. When people are polled and they're asked, who are the most difficult people to talk to? People who hold to conspiracy theories are here. Christians are here. The average unchurched person says Christians are harder to talk to than somebody who believes a conspiracy like that. They think we're judgmental. They think we're narrow. They think we don't listen. And unfortunately, they're often right. We don't listen. We don't listen. And what does it hurt to listen? You're not even working a muscle. You're just sitting there. Right? You're just sitting there. All you have to do is not talk. That's literally all you have to do. The sound will take care of the rest. All you have to do is sit there and not talk. That's all you have to do to listen. And for some reason, the, the, the wider world thinks that people in the church are the worst listeners. And we shouldn't be that way. We should be the people that people outside the church want to go to first to talk to, shouldn't we? We should be the ones that, you know, I got a problem. You know what I need to do? I need to go see that person down the street who goes to church, is always happy and all but they don't do it. We're the last people they want to talk to. And that's a shame. We should be the first people they want to talk to. And this brings me to my first point. To be in a good, to make any decision, or just to be a good Christian, you need to be open. You need to be open-minded. You need to listen. Here's the deal. Unless it is clearly taught in Scripture, you may be wrong. Now, I understand anything clearly taught in the Bible is right because God is never wrong. So if it's clearly taught in Scripture, that is right. Everything else, up for debate. Everything else is up for debate unless Jesus said it or Paul said it by inspired by the Spirit or whatever. It's up for debate. You may be wrong. And the only way you're going to find out if you're right or wrong is to listen is to listen to other people. Listen. I understand that can be a pain. I understand some people don't have an off switch. I understand some people just go on and on. There are some people who talk on the inhale. I get that. That's okay. That's all right. Listen. Just listen. One of my favorite books. I try to read a lot of just weird books because, you know, I did, and I don't like normal stuff, and so I'm not normal, I guess. So there, there's a book years ago called, um, oh, it's called Tepper Isn't Going Out. And it's all about this guy in New York City. And his favorite hobby is to find good parking spots in New York City. If you've been to New York City, you can understand that, that that's a task, right? right? Finding a good parking spot in Manhattan is not easy. And so he goes looking for it, and then he pulls into the parking spot, and he just sits there, and he puts his coins in the slot, and he just sits there, and he sits. 
That's all he does. He sits there and reads the newspaper and just sits. And that's his hobby. And somebody from the New York Times picks up on this. They're like, why is this guy doing this? He must be, what's, what's the insight? What's going on here? And so he, he publishes a story about this guy. And so people start to, like, seek him out. And then they sit down with him in his car, and they just begin just pouring out their life, and they just, like, start talking. And the guy, Tepper, never says anything more profound than, it's always something. And people walk away feeling relieved that somebody listened to them. It's that easy just to listen. People need it. And you need it. Because you don't know everything. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. You may be wrong. I loved I was listening to a, a, a theologian talk, a theologian at St. Andrews University, and, and he said, I know I'm wrong about 10 to 15% of what I believe. The problem is I don't know which 10 to 15% it is. And we're all probably in that same boat. But we'll never figure it out if we don't listen. To be a good Christian, to make good decisions, you have to be open. You need to listen. I'm amazed. I'm preparing a lesson, a free seminary in the fall, on the life of the apostles. Like, what happened to the apostles after, you know, like, so we got some history that dates back. What happened to the 11 apostles? Or what happened to Paul, all that kind of life of Paul? And I've been trying to prepare that class. Paul, to me, is fascinating. The apostle Paul, if you don't know anything about Paul, uh, Paul was trained to be a rabbi. He comes, he, Paul came from a, you know, he wrote most of the New Testament. But Paul was raised in a wealthy family. In, in the city of Tarsus, his family had a lot of money. They sent him off, well, probably when he was about 13 years old off to Jerusalem to study at the feet of the, then the greatest rabbi in the world, a guy named Gamaliel. And so he studied under Gamaliel for 17 years. 17 years. And one of the things you were expected to do if you studied to be a rabbi, you had to memorize, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament in Greek and Hebrew. You had to memorize Genesis. You had to memorize Exodus. You had to memorize Leviticus, for goodness sakes. And not only did you have to memorize all that, the rabbis would quiz you. How many times is the Lord's name used in the book of Amos? And they'd have to have it off the top of their head. That's how sharp Paul was. That's how well-educated the apostle Paul was. And yet, he had memorized 39 books of the Bible, front to back, Genesis to Malachi. All of it talking about, from Genesis 3 on, talking about the coming of the Messiah. And the Messiah shows up, and Paul misses him. God himself is walking around the temple. Paul's like, yeah, that guy's full of it. How did he miss it? Take a look. Let's look at Galatians 1, 11 through 18. This is Paul himself. Uh, Paul founded this church. He's writing a letter to this church in Galatia that he founded. And he, when, when Paul planted a church, Paul didn't just come in and like preach a sermon and go. He wasn't like a one-hour revival guy. He would come and he would sit with that church and train, the, train leaders to lead that church for like nine months to a year. That's how Paul did business. And so he planted this church, but then shortly after he leaves, some false teachers come in the door, and all of a sudden, they're all twisted around. And so Paul writes a pretty angry letter, Galatians, telling him, you got to get your stuff together. And here's what he writes. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you know anything about the life of Paul, Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians because he thought Christians were false teachers and leading his fellow Jews astray. And Jesus himself shows up and goes, Paul, I want you. And that changed everything. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, Gentiles, those are non-Jews. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Watch what he does. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went to Arabia. That's the desert. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Paul was perhaps one of the best educated human beings of his time, taught the scriptures, and the scriptures all pointed to Jesus Christ, and when Jesus showed up, Paul missed it. How did he miss it? And then, this is what I think happened. Uh, He says that he went off for three years. He doesn't tell us what he was doing, so I don't know what he was doing, but I think I know what he was doing. I think he was taking his Bible and rereading it trying to figure out how he missed it pointing to Jesus Christ. I think that's what he was doing. I think he was going through the 39 books of the Old Testament going, okay, how did I miss Jesus in this? And totally relearning Scripture. See, here's Paul, incredibly well-educated, all educated with a single focus to find the Messiah and restore Israel, and the Messiah shows up and he misses him. Why? He wasn't open. He was well-educated, but he wasn't open. He convinced himself he knew what the Messiah would look like, and it certainly wasn't going to be some poor guy from Nazareth. Nazareth, which some scholars say literally means nowhere, like Otway. (laughs) And, and, And so he shows up, and Paul misses him, but we do the same thing. We, I I don't know how many times I have sat down with fellow Christians and they sit there and they tell me who they think God is. And it's not the God of the Bible. It's a God that they have created in their own mind. And usually it's like a Santa Claus. If I be good, he'll just give me this stuff. And that's not in the Bible. You can be incredibly closed-minded while you're learning something. You can be incredibly closed-minded and you can shift everything you hear to try to fit into the categories you want them to fit into if you're not open. And you'll miss a lot if you're not open. Now look, Scripture is very clear about some things. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Jesus' teachings very clear. Anybody can understand them. But If Jesus didn't speak on it, and some things Jesus didn't speak on, some things Paul didn't address, it's up for debate. You need to be open. You need to listen. You never know. You could be wrong about a lot of things. You need to be open. 
a leadership uh, expert by the name of Stephen Covey argues, and by the way, all Christians should be leaders because Jesus has charged us with being salt and light in our world, which means we're supposed to be leaders. And Stephen Covey says all leaders should listen 70% of the time, only talk 30% of the time. Is that you? That's not me. I need to get there, but I ain't there. 70% of the time, he says that you should, as a leader, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. See, this is, we do this with everything. I love, there was a definition of love that Jack and, and Judy Balswick, who are, who are Christian counselors, came up with. They said, he said, yeah, the problem what most people have in relationships is they define love as being loved, not loving. We just want we don't want to give, we just want. We want to talk, we don't want to listen. We want to be loved, we don't want to work at love. But as a Christian, this should be the exact opposite. And we should be those people. People should look at us and say, those people, those people at Christ Community Church, they listen. Those people at Christ Community Church, they care. Because let me tell you the message you send when you just listen. You're sending the message, I care about you, I respect you. If you don't listen, you're sending the exact opposite opposite message now here's the other thing you need to be open you also need to be optimistic and what i mean by optimistic is you should be happy and hopeful you should feel like the future is bright and you know why because if you're a christian it is have you read the end of the book we win We have an eternity waiting for us. If we go through the worst possible thing, if we go through cancer and, and death, we still get heaven. Why would, we, why would any Christian be pessimistic? Why would any Christian be bummed out? Look at what's waiting for us. Take a look. Let's look at Revelation 21, 1 through 4. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, this is your future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Sea in the Hebrew mind meant evil, chaos. No more evil, no more chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things that passed away. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, that is your future. Tell me why you would be depressed. That's what's waiting for all of us. That's what's waiting for all of us. Now, if you want something to read, a little book by Randy Alcorn just called Heaven. Now, it's speculative to be sure, but he talks about what he thinks heaven will look like. And you need to understand, heaven is not what you saw in Tom and Jerry cartoons. It is not sitting on a cloud in a diaper playing a harp with a halo. That is not heaven. That is nowhere in the Bible, thank goodness. If I die and wake up in a diaper, that's not heaven, that's hell. What Randy Alcorn describes, the new heavens and new earth... Because what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, that when we die and then we come back to earth with Jesus Christ one day, we get a body like Jesus had. What kind of body did Jesus have after the resurrection? Physical or spiritual? 
It's physical, wasn't it? You could touch him. Thomas touched him. They hugged him. He ate. You'll be able to eat. Calorie-free pizza for everybody. Woo! <laughs> a new heavens, a new earth. Randy Alcorn says, look, if it's not sinful, if it's glorifying God, it'll be there. Sports will be there. Art will be there. Music will be there. It's fantastic. Better than you could even imagine. This is what awaits all of us. So why would we ever be down? All of us live happily ever after. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. This is what you have to keep in mind. All Christians should be up and hopeful and happy and optimistic because we win. In the end, we win. We get paradise. Yeah. I know life can be rough now, but it has a happy ending. And here's what studies have found. It, it amazes me that more scientists don't come to God because research, research upon research just, just basically says the Bible's right. Christians should be happy, optimistic people. And guess what? Optimistic people, research has found, handle life better. They're just better at life. They make better decisions. And there's no reason for us not to be optimistic. In fact, the loss, the loss of optimism is the opening to depression. It's so sad. I, I was reading an article a few years ago. Do you know that in our water, our drinking water, in almost every major municipal system, there are trace amounts of antidepressants. Because we use them so much, they end up in our water supply. We are the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And a huge percentage of our population are popping antidepressants? Why? Goodness sakes. What is there to be depressed about? And I know, I mean, everything that's happened at the church over the last month, you know, with the first couple weeks, we were all just going like this. All of us just felt we were all depressed. Just, everybody was depressed. Mom couldn't sleep. Dad's blood pressure was sky high. I was sitting there going, uh, like this all the time. And then it hit me. Matt, you guys have a job to do. Has that job changed? No, it has not changed. Job is to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and bring those who are already in faith closer to Jesus Christ. That's the job. So do your job. And quit bellyaching because the worst thing's going to happen is one day you're going to die and come to paradise with me. That's so bad? Is that so bad? No. No. We all live happily ever after. Anybody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ gets a perfect future. That's great. And so the next sermon series we're going to do, we kick off a brand new sermon series next week called Be Happy. Now, here's my, here's my thing. You can go into some churches, and God bless them, they mean well, they really do. But they seem to have this opinion that you can either be holy or happy. I don't think so. I think that's a false dichotomy. I think you can be both. 
And I think as people who have been forgiven, as people who have done wrong and do wrong every day, and I will con probably continue to do wrong as long as New Boston traffic exists. <laughs> but I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven, and I have an amazing future ahead of me. No reason to be depressed. God's forgiven me. God is slowly sanctifying me. And the future's bright. That's good stuff. You should be happy. So, we shot a video this week. It'll probably create a little bit of a stir. Um, how many of you remember the late Chris Farley when he was on Saturday Night Live? All right, so some of you will get the context for this. Uh, let's roll our brand new video. This is our promo that we're going to put on Facebook today. We would ask you to like and share it for the next sermon series. Happy rolling. hiding. Uh, in fact, last night he was here, he was offering to do private parties. I don't know about that, but anyway, I, <laughs> he's actually at a scholarship banquet. His wife's getting a scholarship this morning, so that's where he's at, but I thank him for doing that. Uh, we got more kind of stuff that rolling out. We got, we're going to have uh, three different videos out today on Facebook. Uh, one, the interview with Dale King, and, and then this one, and then the one, our volunteer video. So be sure to like and share those. That'll help us out. Put something positive on Facebook for once instead of some of the stuff that's out there. Um, be happy. We're going to be talking about this for the next month. All through June, we're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian and to be happy. And, but I'll go ahead. Spoiler alert. We're forgiven, we get heaven, you should be happy. We should all be the happiest people around. Psychologists will tell you that, why is it that some people get depressed? Now, I understand some people get depressed for chemical reasons, there's postpartum depression, I understand that. I'm not saying that that's sinful, I think that, that's a chemical thing that happens. But I don't understand, absent from that, why a Christian would ever be depressed. I understand that maybe you've got a kid that you want to strangle. Because I was that kid. My mom prayed for me, my dad tried to strangle me, but that, you know, so I, I get it. I get it, but they didn't give up on me. There's always time, always time, always hope, always. Until a person draws their last breath, there is always hope for salvation, always, always, always. So we should be happy if there's hope. Hope equals happiness. And we have hope. We all have hope. And if you don't have hope, you need to come and talk to me after service. How you can get that? It's real simple. The God of the universe made it really simple. Come pray to me, ask forgiveness, you'll get it. Done. 
done. And you're forgiven. And we all need it. We all need it. This church is going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And you should be the happiest people around. Christians everywhere should be known to be the happiest people around, the most open-minded people around. We just should be. Whenever you're faced with a dilemma, now dilemmas will come in life. There's no doubt about that. What do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do. This sounds good. That sounds good. I just don't know what to do. Well, we, we put this sermon series together. We went and looked at, I, I went through a number of, of, of websites looking at Christian counselors. I, went, I looked at licensed professional counselors who are Christians. And I looked to them for wisdom. What do you do when you've got a client come in and they're confused? They don't know what to do. And that's why we put these things together. Number one, pray. Pray. Two, take your time. Take your time. Time is on your side. Take as much time as you've got to make a decision. Be patient. Patience is peace plus time. Be selfless. Whenever we get confused, whenever we get hurt, we tend to be selfish. Don't believe me? Ever had that friend who got dumped by somebody? What do they want to talk about? That's all they want to talk about. Why? Because they're being selfish. Because we get hurt, we get selfish. The only way to quit being selfish is to be selfless. Go help somebody else. Quit sitting around thinking about yourself. Be steadfast. Stay in the word of God. The word of God is never wrong. God is never wrong. So you stay with the Bible. You be open-minded. You listen. And you be happy and optimistic. You'll make better decisions. You'll be a better person. People will actually want to be around you more. Because nobody wants to be around somebody that's a bummer all the time. We have a mission. We've been given a mission by Jesus Christ to make disciples. You're not going to make disciples if people run the other way when you start walking towards them. Be happy. Be hopeful. We are forgiven. We are people who are forgiven and have paradise awaiting. We should be happy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, first of all, for our existence for the offer of grace, the forgiveness we get for free, that just come to you and ask for it and it's given. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us and leads us and guides us. You say if we pray for wisdom, you'll give it. Maybe not on our timetable, but you'll give it. May everyone here know your forgiveness, know your grace, know your love, worship you, be living, live just in gratitude for the forgiveness they have and the future that lays in front of them. May we be open and optimistic people that lead others to faith in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're done a little early, so Chris, why don't you roll that ad one more time, and then God bless you, God go with you. Can you roll it?
Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.